Opinions expressed in the following sponsored program are not necessarily those of KSCO Radio, its staff, management, or advertisers. If something is said with which you disagree, please call us during the program in order to help us balance comments. Yes, Santa Cruz, welcome to the Cannabis Connection. I'm your host, Christopher Carr. Give thanks for tuning in to another edition of Santa Cruz Cannabis Talk Radio. It's always a pleasure to be here with my brother and to be here with you. I appreciate you and I appreciate you tuning in. I'm very excited for the show this evening. I have the honor of welcoming Brandon. <clears throat> Brandon has always felt a connection with plants and the outdoors. This led him to pursue a career in biology, first earning a Bachelor's of Science in Biology from UNC Asheville and a Master's of the same from University Wisconsin La Crosse. With a stint as a research forestry technician at the U.S. Forest Service in between. Very cool. Public servant. In 2016, Brandon has lived in Cottage Grove, uh, Oregon, and during that time he has served as the lead breeding technician with New Breed Seeds. In 2022, Brandon also became a certified crop advisor in the Pacific Northwest region. I'm very excited to have Brandon Potter on the show. Welcome to the Cannabis Connection. Hello. 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 Thank you for having me tonight. Yeah. How are you, man? How was your day? Happy Friday. Oh, it was pretty good. Very busy today. Uh, how was yours? Nice. Yeah, likewise. It's a busy time. It's Croptober, and we still have yes, plenty, plenty of work to do. But, hey, that's life on a farm or life with cannabis, right? It's it's Christmas time, too. It's the most glorious time of year. <laughs> yes. Busy but joyous. But joyous. Yeah, it's it's uh, the fruits of our labor, literally. Uh, so wonderful and uh yeah, man. I uh, can you t- well. Let's just orient our listeners. Where are you in the world? Where are you uh, calling from tonight? Uh, currently, I'm in Eugene, Oregon. Righteous. How is it? So, Eugene, are you still? Um, are you are you growing out some of the seeds you bred, or can you speak to that a little bit? Um, I, I mean, I have multiple things going on. I, nice. I have my own projects, and then I also work at New Breed Seed, and we. Uh, we actually just harvested this uh, the fall cycle uh, this week. Nice, nice. Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. What what uh, you know, Oregon is near and dear to my heart. A lot of the f- friends on the show, uh, Eugene is lovely too. I I have yet to really go up there since I I went on tour with my my roots reggae group. Uh, <laughs> We did a little uh, Seattle to San Diego circuit a long time ago, probably 2015, 2016 was our times coming through. But uh, it's a lovely, lovely spot for growing cannabis. And um, I would love to hear about what you guys grew out this fall run. I'm curious. Um, Well, I I mean, it is a... The culture, culturally, it's a really great spot for cannabis. Uh, growing, yes. it's a great spot for cannabis. Usually, this this fall was actually pretty nice, but usually till about you know late September, and then it's not such a great place. With um, the rain, so, is it rain precipitation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You either have to have things that are very mold hardy early, or they just melt. Um, so that's how that's sad. Right. Yeah, they just fall <laughs> apart. It is mold to right. death. Yeah, melt. Oh. Um, but you know, up until September, it's perfect. So that's new breed seed. Currently, just does auto flowers, and that, the goal with that was kind of to develop varieties for the region that could be grown during you know peak summer when the conditions are perfect, and get them out before. Um, the the fall rains hit them. Wow, how interesting! So new breed seed only, and how long has new breed been around? And because I feel like this autoflower varieties have really in Cal. Well, yeah, they really hit the scene in the past few years, and the mm-hmm. amount of improve. Well, they've been around a long time, obviously with Dutch genetics and different seed banks internationally. But maybe you can orient our, for the layman listening. Uh, a little bit about new breed seed and, and specifically 
about autoflowers in general and working with that and, and I imagine growing at scale and there's a lot to learn there. It's still a pretty fresh topic for some novice listeners possibly. Yeah, I mean, so, auto, you know, autoflower genetics have kind of been floating around since available in the market since at least the late 80s, but it wasn't until the early 2000s when Joint Doctor commercialized the lowrider that it kind of caught on in a more meaningful way. Um, and they were pretty bad plants at that time, uh, but even back then I saw the potential. And at least the autoflower gene that we work with, and there may be more than one uh, cause, genetic cause of an autoflower plant, uh, but the one that we work with and the one that's derived from uh, lowrider, excuse me, is a single recessive gene. So it's pretty easy to move around in germplasm breeding-wise. It's just like a simple Punnett square problem. So um, people have been working over the last 20 years to really improve the autoflower uh, gene pool by introgressing that gene into more developed photoperiod varieties because the, the autoflower gene comes from, you know, what people call ruderalis, which is uh, feral, wild, spontaneous occurring plants that are adapted to, uh, you know, colder areas where the growing season is really short. And they don't really have a history of being used as drug plants. So we're really introducing something relatively new to the photoperiod germ pool, which has been being developed for literally thousands of years for use as drug-producing plants. So in the last 20, 30 years, we've really made serious progress on autoflowers. Um, it's still hard to compete with clone-only elites just because, you know, cannabis is an outcrossing plant and when you have those really exceptional individuals that you can just keep around asexually, it's hard to make a seed variety that's consistently that good. But um, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, well, righteous man. Yeah, that's piece. That's a piece to the puzzle. Is it's. I feel like it's <clears throat> it's 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 improving. It's continuing to really progress uh, with with the end product. Uh, are you making extracts, or what is some of the practical? Obviously, people smoke these autos, but I'm curious with that because there's so much cannabis on the market. Is this something that you guys encounter? Is there a strategy there as far as what to do with all that cannabis and and how it comes, you know, all at once? Yeah, um, I, there's different ways you could handle it. I, I'd say like right now it's highly competitive for like distillate and extract and uh, increasingly water hash. It's people are uh, getting better at uh, not just, you know, breeding things for bulk biomass, but actually looking at the resin heads and that sort of uh, more intricate details to making extracts. Um, so it's very competitive, especially like production quantity and yield wise, um, especially if people are trying to do live resin and things like that, that maybe don't have the best yield uh, compared to other extraction methods, but uh, they can grow a lot of flour cheaper. Um, so it's really stepping into those areas. For high-quality flour, it's a little bit, um, you know, like I said, compared to, say, an indoor clone only, whatever, uh, that's it's going to have a hard time competing. I yeah. think the best part in the market is outdoors, um, although some people are running them indoors with pretty good uh, results. Really? Um, Growing autos indoors? Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, as far as the yield index and things like that, they're great. Um, sure, they are. It's the quality, though. Sometimes in the smoke, I wasn't, I wasn't in love with the smoke. And we have, mm -hmm. yeah, we have a compassion program here in Santa Cruz. Wham is the Woman's Alliance for mm -hmm. Medical. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, and so a lot of that is given away, right? We grow mm -hmm. a, quite a bit. Like 33% goes just to compassion. And we found some of our members were they're picky. <laughs> they didn't like the <laughs> autos, man. So I, w I want to hear your thoughts mm -hmm. on that, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, and that's the thing. The autos are a developing gene pool. So some of them, like New Breed Seed, they started in 2014. They had probably, 
mid-20s or more rounds of breeding from that material. So, you know, that their gene pool is different than someone, some closet breeder that you might buy seeds of. That, yeah. You know, has a couple generations in from those audit, those low riders or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, is the low rider so the source? It's just the <laughs> most popular one, it sounds like. Uh, it, it was the first one that was wide. I mean, like, back in, I think, I want to say 1989 or maybe the early 90s, wow. Neville had a Ruderalis skunk hybrid that was available. Wow. Um, but I think it was Mexican Ruderalis and his catalogs. So it was around, but it wasn't until the joint doctor started selling lowrider that people really, like, picked it up as a breeding project and saw the potential in it. Yeah. I certainly had my had my era with it and then wham kind of humbled me and we came to the conclusion that we it's worth it to have less but higher quality Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah just and it's all about your goal what's your end product sure yeah and with people that are sick and sometimes it's like we were we have one field right so it's just usually a one term and in santa cruz too I, we maybe not so much rain but the marine layer so we see melting we see mm-hmm. the, we see that terrible mold disappointment <laughs> come at, we, we did have rain it's september 18th and i walked the field and it looked pretty good like i thought everything held up well just physically but that mold just comes on so fast and so strong and Botrytis just was humbling, uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's so we, you know, we've been, we've been at it ever since. Obviously, trying to trying to salvage and take care of some varieties did really well, um, and were very resilient. It's a, like a Hawaiian variety that seems to be pretty. Although no, I, I think this one group, Molecular Farms, excellent breeders, really great work, and obviously we have. A need for type two and and CBD rich varietals or or mixed ratio, mm-hmm. and I found that the CBD uh, mixed ratios. I don't know. This could just be the the unique terpene profiles. They 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 they, they did well. They survived the botrytis wave. It's more of those hype cultivars that mm-hmm. are like the modern you know cookie crosses. The gelato is really moldy. Uh, things like that just didn't do well. I'm, I'm wondering about your thoughts too about resilience. You mentioned the Punnett square too. That's really cool just to get down to the basics and like what are you looking at when you're selecting and, and trying to refine things. Like obviously understanding what you're going for, maybe in this context or this case study thought experiment, you know, mold resistance is an interesting thing and anything that you've come across that is 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 resistant from the botrytis. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's mold resistance is something we always look at. Botrytis is always almost always present, at least at some level. Wow. Um, and there's there's definitely a genetic component to it. There's certain lines that do better than others. And kind of my original thoughts uh, years ago were that oh maybe looser flower structures or you know like the uh, more dense flower structures will be more susceptible, looser flowers will be less susceptible. And that's maybe true to some extent, but, you know, uh, I, I think it's it's not the driving factor. And in, in some cases, the looser flower structures actually kind of hold more water because of the water surface tension. And yeah. the hard ones just kind of let it roll off. So it's it's been, like, more counterintuitive. And uh, we're trying to... Currently, we're trying to correlate like our observations in adult plants from certain lines to seedling tests, or so we're, we're like inoculating seedlings and killing seedlings and seeing what rate of kill. Uh, and see, we're trying to see if we can correlate that, so we can maybe make earlier selections Whoa. on mold in that way. Um, it's harder to do something. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. And it gets a little complicated there because like. Seedlings usually only, they're more likely to express major resistance genes, whereas quantitative resistance uh, isn't fully expressed until the plant's more mature. So it's a little, it's a bit limited, even if it's working, and we don't know if it's working yet. (laughs) Yeah, how Um, interesting. And you you have 
you know, another part of your work, I imagine, is is fungal, right? And and maybe you could speak to a little bit about that. And I, I, I hate to go so deep in Petrius too, but I don't think I personally understand. Is it is a mold part of the fungi kingdom? This is probably a silly question, but I just oh, yeah. to break it down, man, and help us help us wrap our mind around it. And I like how you said. Uh, you said it with authority that it's almost always present, right? And it's, you know, maybe can speak to like the purpose. What was nature's design with something like botrytis and, and how is it always present? And, and what are these key things to know about it? Uh, moving forward, uh, I was very humbled this year from, from a pretty large scale field and, and little things like weed pressure too and other you know other <laughs> other things like other factors of of a, of a rich you know biome uh it's been humbling and one thing i just want to be more knowledgeable about is like what is botrytis and how does it work sure um yeah so i have a biology focus but my my like Area of concentration, especially in grad school, was on plant-microbe interactions, particularly fungal-plant interactions. Um, and uh, specifically, I was looking at, for that, my thesis, I was looking at uh, the American chestnut, and uh, it was devastated by an invasive light from Asia about 100 years ago now. I was looking at endophytes of the surviving chestnuts that are sprouting on the East Coast and seeing if any of those have antagonistic abilities against the blight fungus. So um, to get back to cannabis and botrytis, botrytis is absolutely a fungus in the fungal kingdom. Uh, any of the buds, so there's a handful of molds that can cause bud rot. The one that people are most familiar with is botrytis, and they generally will call any mold that's causing bud rot botrytis. Got it. Although <laughs> I'm a victim um, of that. <laughs> Aspergillus and penicillium uh, can also cause bud rots, uh, sclerotina. Botrytis is still probably the major one, and there's some controversy about how pathogenic it is or whether it's uh, kind of a secondary uh, pathogen that targets weaker plants. I, I am more in the camp that it is a true pathogen, um, at least some strains of it. Uh, so these are all ascomycete fungi and that would be like they don't produce the molds are called molds because it's their asexual life cycle sometimes they produce sexual uh, fruiting bodies but that's not usually what people are seeing um, some of those molds that affect cannabis like sclerotinia can make little mushroom like fruiting bodies that you would recognize whoa. as a mushroom whoa um, in the bud detritus. in cannabis or no no i okay. mean it could. It, <laughs> yeah. It, it makes the it makes the fruiting bodies on little tubers that it forms within plant material, and it makes them the following year. So uh, it would be indirectly, and it'd be like in the soil when you actually saw it. I see. How interesting, though. So what we're seeing with the botrytis growth, or the bud rot, whatever strain of fungi it is, it's like the mycelium beginning, because it's not fruiting in that bud rot stage, right? Right, right, and it won't like it won't it won't form a fruiting body. But right, even if uh, botrytis forms a fruiting body, it's going to be microscopic, and you're not going to see it like a I mushroom. See. Got it. Just Got the it. type that it is. But it, like it's it's related to say a morel that you would see, as opposed to like a, a gilled mushroom that you might buy in a grocery store would be a basidium mycete. It's it's more closely to these morels, um, and most molds are ascomycetes. Wow, fascinating! Oh my gosh, this is great. Well, let's let's let's, keep, let's continue. And so the 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 perp is it is it coming? One thing I'm curious about with so if you're cleaning right, you see a spot a spot of botrytis and you uh, maybe snip off the base of the of the infected area uh, and you see a little a little dust. Like a, those are spores spreading that botrytis, correct? Right, right. So those are those are conidia. They're asexual spores, and conidia are usually really small, very mobile, um, basically clones of that mycelium that can be formed and spread very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, and 
is it true that they can i mean obviously when i disturb the the area of infected with with the mold you you visibly see these <laughs> take off but does it also like would the wind be a great carrier or how does this how does it spread yeah absolutely the wind insects um you know any movement like uh, invertebrate birds wind people yeah uh, it's, it's also you know soil uh they can hang around for a while on you know, well, surfaces things like that so the plants could be infected by the grow media the the, the mold could be <laughs> in the soil yeah potentially potentially in the seed or on the seed oh my goodness um, <laughs> not to freak you out, you know, uh, and there's also good things that pass that way, too. So okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So what do, what are your best practices to keep things? I love working with nature. Obviously, I don't want to overthink, you know, I just I just want to maintain this this uh, as natural approach as possible. But maybe if there are best practices or ways to be mindful uh, in some mm-hmm. ways, there's always we're always inhaling some amount of of spores right and just in, in life um but i'd love to hear your thought or even in the seeds too because i've also bred flowers that <laughs> may have been exposed or had botrytis and you try your best you try to cut out and not use parts but maybe there's stuff that was a seed was created in a botrytis rich flower right mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not yeah, yeah. visibly but yeah, yeah you know what i'm saying i'm curious what your thoughts are on on trying to be clean and set your plant set your garden up for success um i have many of them <laughs> but uh <laughs> so it, part of the problem is you like you have to know what your threats are so if you are say if there's, you usually have more of a problem with powdery mildew, say, than botrytis, or you have both, or whatever. So botrytis is a very generalist, so is aspergillus and um, fusarium are usually generalists. So they're probably in your environment on a bunch of other plants as well. God. Whereas powdery mildew, the current uh, most common species that probably affects people's cannabis in the United States is Goldivinomyces ambrosiae. And it's relatively restricted on what plants it'll infect. Interesting. Uh, kind of like it loves cannabis. Yeah. Cannabis, hops. Um, you know, I, they used to think it was on sunflowers. They now think it's a variety that doesn't infect sunflowers. So, you know, you can kind of uh, focus on what its other hosts are and things like that and remove them uh, for a pathogen like powdery mildew. Whereas botrytis and things like that, you're just going to have to assume it's present and do best practices that will protect your plant by, you know, improving its immune system, selecting resistant genetics are really the best option because then, yeah. you know, you don't have to apply anything. You don't, they, they're operating um, healthily on their own. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, yeah, I think genetics really play that key role because, uh, yeah, there are certain, that's something year after year, you just, and, and the thing with environmental factors that help with botrytis, obviously we talked about uh, moisture and rain, uh, and maybe, mm-hmm. you can, do you know, like the, I mean, obviously just by observing, I can infer that that leads to mold and, and mildew. I've seen PM too uh, come after mm-hmm. the rains, and is there any best practices or next actions like if you are exposed i mean obviously nature's going to do what it's going to do it's going to happen but if there's any ideas or 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 i don't know is there a biological counteraction or or, or i don't know mm-hmm. i would love to hear your yeah. thoughts so if you're outdoors um and you know and you you can cover and do things like that you can do some cultural things where like you're removing leaves to improve uh air circulation um things like that. But there are, you know, um, various biologicals that you can apply to your plant early on that will uh, either live on the surface or within the plant body itself and help improve the immune system, upregulate the immune system, and or occupy the space of pathogens or directly antagonize them. Um, So there's a lot of commercial products that you can buy that will do this. They're not necessarily advertised to do that. 
but like pretty much any trichoderma product, um, anything with like bacillus amyloliquidifacians. I, I just butchered that, but it's like it's the one in Hydrogard. <laughs> Um, and a bunch, it's, it's very common, um, plant growth promoting bacteria, uh, bacillus, uh, all of these will both upright, they will, all of those will internally inoculate your plant as well as endophytes and probably persist. Uh, so you can inoculate your plants early, kind of like a mycorrhizal product and it grows with your plants. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. Can you just help, uh, for the novice listener, and like so these so bacteria i mean i was just looking at jeff lowenfels has a new bacteria teaming with bacteria book and mm-hmm. teaming with microbes like what you that actually kind of ties it all beautifully is how mycorrhiza is something that i developed a better understanding and appreciation for with inoculating my seedlings or 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 a clone and and seeing that root growth, or just you know when we transferred, we we you could see a difference. It was a it was a, it was very impressive to see how the biophilia of of the living soil really contributed to the health of of the and the growth of the plant. Um, can you speak to like the the you know what's going on when you say endophytes? Like so, the bacteria have a they have the potential to. Well, I, to make it real simple, we're boosting the plant's in the immunity and we're introducing these things uh, in an early stage of growth so that it, it'll continue to grow with the plant, correct? And, and like, how do these mechanisms work? Do bacteria, is there something about the fungi that the, the bacteria eat off of? Or I just want to help break it down a little. Um, some of this is unknown. <laughs> oh, wow. It, how cool. I, I, <laughs> yeah, you just inoculate and it seems to work. Yeah, like how exactly what the relationship is between a lot of endophytes and their hosts is is unclear. Um, clearly, they're they're getting enough sustenance to survive and grow, and you know, and they uh, target propagate. the bad stuff naturally. That's what they're drawn to, mm-hmm. or everything. Uh, well, or it's I mean, a side it's, effect. It's more of a continuum, you know. Uh, Got it. Got they, it. Botrytis can also be a endophyte, and some, some botrytis may not ever cause disease, and maybe Whoa. you could inoculate the plant with that botrytis, and it won't. It'll take, take the disease. place of the of the bad botrytis. Yeah, there's some fusariums like that. And actually, speaking, going back to the, you were mentioning um, Jeff Lowenfels and the rise of feed and cycle, and like some of the work that James White did with fungi showed that. Certain fusariums, when you inoculate them with bacteria, go from being pathogenic to a plant to being innocuous. So, you know, there's multiple levels of these interactions uh, going on. <laughs> and, and all of those, you know, all of those organisms, uh, a fungi has an internal bacteria in its hyphae that are doing the same things or various things, but there's bacteria living inside those, and all of those have viruses and viroids. And, you know, something like Hopslayton viroid, um, recently there's been a paper that came out that showed viroids can be transferred from fungi to plants and they can reproduce inside fungi. Whoa, which makes it really scary because fungi are really easy. When we think about botrytis, it just kind of floats in in the wind, right? Does that... Does that concern you? <laughs> Potentially. And okay, like, these are all it. kind of unknown. We're all pretty, uh, we're still learning. We don't know what to think. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, how interesting. And how, yeah, the, the viroid, so that when we say viroid, it's similar to like the viruses we encounter as humans. It's, it's, it's making the plant sick, just to make it simple, right? So. Okay, so to correct myself, when I when I was talking about that paper, they might have been looking at, I think they were looking at cucumber mosaic virus. Okay, um, gotcha. Which does affect cannabis, and they were looking Whoa. at fungal pathogens that could transfer it that also affect cannabis, including rhizoctonia. Um, but a viroid is actually, so a virus has uh, a, some kind of protective capsid around it, and it has genes that make that capsid and stuff that will like kind of hijack your cell. Whereas a viroid is just a small segment of RNA and it has no coding. 
Um, and it just, uh, you know, uses machinery already in your cell to replicate itself. Oh, whoa. Got it. Wow. Yeah, and with the hops latent viroid, that's something, too, that, that comes up. We've had, um, uh, well, you're, you're working in a very interesting space. I know you have a lot of interesting product, uh, projects, but we spoke with Hendrix Nursery, which is Northern California, really look, like beloved local nursery in the Emerald Triangle. And he, mm-hmm. he, he provided a, a very brief uh, obviously, he made it clear that this is something that a lot of commercial growers, well, all, everyone, every gardener, every grower should should be mindful of where they source their genetics and, and the cleanliness of the facility or the or the grower. Uh, but can you speak just at a basic level, like what this um, this late this one seems to be one of the most talk of the town, right? The hop latent. Uh, by the way. That's right. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. curious to learn like a, 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 any any thoughts you have on that and, and things that maybe you've encountered in in your neck of the woods in your work. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of new uh, for me. Yeah, honestly. it's kind of new for me as well. <laughs> I'm just curious. I have read more about it. I, there's a possibility that I got a plum that had it, and I, I killed it real fast. Got it. Lucky. <laughs> um, Safe. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've been learning about it, and it's kind of – it's also a little bit more insidious than it sounded at first. Everyone was like, oh, it's mechanically transmitted on um, tools and things like that. It's like, okay, that, that's easy. We can just develop an SOP for that. It's like now it's like, well, well maybe there's some – yeah, and it's it's kind of hard to kill on those surfaces too. Harder than like just dipping in isopropyl. You have to leave it in say like a Clorox mix for ten minutes or wow, something like serious. that. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to and do it, a lot of like, cloning with that kind of time period. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're gonna have to <laughs> do need, like, like a bunch of blades yeah. that you can kind of cycle through uh, something like that. Yeah. But it also potentially can can transfer through drain water and on pots and in soil and surfaces like that for wow. significant amounts of time, which is really surprising to me because it is just a naked piece of RNA. Um, so Resilient. Yeah, surprisingly resilient for what it is. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a viroid, so it's not a virus, so it's like the the simpler iteration of, yeah. of, 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 a, yeah, of, a, of an and ailment. It, it, one of the big unknowns for it, from my perspective, because I, you know, grow seed, is uh, the transmission from uh, parent plant to seed, and that's still kind of unknown. It almost certainly happens to some extent. I think that's been proven, but what rate it is, it's probably a low rate, but um, you know, it's it's going to be something that needs to be that and then a handful of other emerging viruses just because especially because of the nature of how people pass clones around and now people are selling clones as hemp through the mail basically everywhere oh my so goodness it's, just it's like, spreading like you know. wildfire yeah so i've i've personally really locked down on accepting anything new even seed new seed i'm wary of <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fascinating to learn. I always thought that that, I mean, that could have been a misnomer, or we just weren't as educated. But it was like a, a surefire way to have a clean grow is to start your garden all from seed. That was mm-hmm. like, and it's still a better choice. You know, a clone is going to have a much higher rate of transmission from an infected mother plant than a seed would. Hundred percent, I agree. Yeah. I agree, but it's not. But what 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 you've what you're I'm learning from you. What you've educated me and my audience and everybody listening and everyone that will listen is that actually, if if it can things can be passed through the seed in the mm-hmm. you know in the in the in the kind of embryonic. Can you speak to that? Just like the your process yeah. of making seed and 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 how things can go to the seed and maybe I've heard some interesting things like. Uh, freezing seeds, um, right? Like Bodhi would go, Bodhi the breeder would go to Nepal and trade uh, vegetable seeds for for uh, cannabis, you know, like native varietals from from treks around the world. And and then somebody in the conversation, I was listening to something recently where they were speaking about, were speaking about be- best practices best, to kind of clean the seed. Clean the seed. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, and, and so this is something I'm a little split on. Uh, if you know where the seed came from and you think it's healthy, I would like kind of discourage people. Some people just like, uh, you know, hydrogen peroxide or bleach water their seed as a matter of practice. And you could also be harboring beneficial um, organisms on the surface Got that it. you're killing. Oh, yeah. But Got it. if you suspect if, it, if it's maybe an unknown seed source or you know that there was botrytis in the mother plant or you suspect that there is a pathogen, then, yeah, absolutely. Surface sterilize. You can do a 10% bleach solution for a minute, something like that. Um, and and that's fine. And if there is, uh, there can still be beneficial organisms inside the plant body that will not be killed by that. And that's also true for pathogens. So if you have a pathogen inside the actual embryo, uh, your surface sterilization isn't going to remove it. Wow. Uh, so you can try all you can, and if it's there, it's there, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's one thing I have a little concern is we, we definitely made quite a bit of seed in our kind of just home, you know, R&D space, just our six plants there, and, and, um, and uh, that botrytis that really, came on. really came on. And if it's there, it's there. <laughs> well, there there are some ways to clean seed. I, so I don't think freezing would really do much for something like botrytis. It might Got remove it. insects, like, uh, you know, um, hitchhikers and things like that. But okay. there are heat treatments that you can do where you're like, there, you have to be very specific. And there aren't really SOPs for cannabis. And can, developing them is going to be difficult because cannabis seed varies so much in size. Yeah, um, but it's it's very specific of like holding seed at a certain temperature, usually in hot water, say like 120 degree hot water for five minutes. Huh? Um, like and a, you can like a pot on your stove or or more control? Yeah, yeah. Well, usually it's like you know you can buy these hundreds of dollars hot water baths, but yeah, you can try to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, not like, the, it's not the it, lab setting I'm talking. <laughs> but I mean, if you have a thermometer and uh, yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you want to keep the water stirring, keep everything. It's it's uh it's going to reduce viability though, uh, especially if you, if you like are gonna if you think you have a problem with your seed and you want to try to do this, you're going to want to do it um, right before you plant. Like you don't want to do it and then you can do it and then dry your seed and store it, but it severely reduces the storageability yeah. and viability. So maybe like at the point of of germination, you do this little hot water bath five minutes mm-hmm. and, then and then soak them and, and hope for the best as far as viability, see if they pop. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And, and That's not too bad. You can, there are some uh, – it's hard to tell exactly how they work because they're going to be specific temperatures and treatments, and it's kind of like chemotherapy where you're treating a plant for a disease. But there are methods that use – heat treatments to clear plants of fungal infections and things like that as well. See, okay. Oh, this is really fascinating. This brings me to another thing because I've watched the botrytis. We had the rain on September 18th and I walked out into this garden and it was so saturated that I would walk down an aisle and the weight of my body, it was like a swamp, kind of like like the plants would dip towards me because it was so wet, right? Like the whole mm-hmm. field was like, it felt like a swamp for a while. So I've just stopped. I'm like a dry farm tomato producer at this point because it's like we just let it dry out. It was all, you know, drip irrigation, drip tape, high flow. Like we really soaked them throughout their whole life cycle until this this mold really started taking off. And now it's been, we had a day here in in Watsonville, two days ago, it was like 90 degrees. We mm. just like got really hot out of nowhere, really high and dry, kind of hot and dry day. Nice change, great for the finish, for the, for the sun-grown cannabis. And I kind of mm-hmm. watched that mold uh, dry out in, in some, in some colas that we hadn't touched yet. And I don't know if it eradicated, obviously it didn't completely, because I would love to hear your thoughts. Like, does it get into the system, right? You might see a speck of mold, but then this is one thing I'm wondering is how does it spread throughout the plant? It's systemic, right? When you, when it's visible, it's, it's circulating throughout the whole plant, but 
the reason why I'm bringing this up is I've watched it kind of dry out and I'm wondering if that is, is you, you've heard of that being successful. Like this is a very low case. Obviously it's not a controlled, it's an open space. Mm-hmm. But if you had like maybe a hot house or a greenhouse, I've heard of this where people were saying like, yeah, you can treat them with heat. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. I, I got excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, so betray, it, it definitely doesn't like heat, and neither does powdery mildew. Wow. It, it, especially betrayed and both kind of do best, like, you know, 50s, 60s with some change in temperature, swings in temperature from day and night. That They love it. In, um, like, the change in temperature, if it comes with some dew, even better. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely comes <laughs> with dew. <laughs> yeah. Um if it's yeah, dry it, and hot, it, it doesn't. It's I could see it not doing well because it got so hot right. and, and it's been dry. And I, yeah, and I don't know, like the the treatments I'm talking about are like completely eradicating the it, amazing. It, I, I doubt that you're reaching that, but you're you're no. disfavoring it to the extent that it's just not competitive or it's not it's not spreading know. as 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 vigil as vigorous. It's kind of. It's changed color too. It feels like it's bleached cool. out a bit or something. It looks, I don't know. It doesn't look well. I mean, it's crispy too. It's like we were cutting it. Yeah. And it's like crispy. It's like wow, that's interesting. Where instead of melting like how we started the show, with <laughs> with mold, right? Like you just see this beautiful colas fall apart. It's kind of like a, <laughs> it's a different. It's it's it seems to have like kind of isolated it. It's interesting. I mean, obviously it's not yeah. enough to. But that's fascinating. So you can eradicate these things with with heat treatments. And cannabis loves heat, right? Or is this is this a misnomer? Is that is that is that um, correct? It, as long as it's getting I, irrigated and the roots are happy, or or is is too much heat a bad thing? I mean, there's definitely going to be a range. Uh, yeah, I think you know I've seen some things like oh, some of its enzymes work best in the 70s or 80s, um, but yeah, it, I don't know. I think there's a, a strain-specific question there, and there's so much variability. In of course. In, generally, in general, heat, yes, it likes it, and it'll grow faster up until, you know, you get above 100, and maybe maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, I love it. Yeah, because we, we see some really special cultivars in, um, in the mountain, like just different areas, right? Growing, coastal growing is challenging. It's definitely important for you to consider genetic selection in all things, but specifically things that will be hopefully just whatever grows well in a year by the coast compared to other things. Maybe that's what you should grow. Me and my friend were speaking to this Mm -hmm. like, hey, there's this one variety that did so well where everything was molding except for this one variety. So maybe we just grow more of that variety. And that's something came up on the show, I think, last week, too, where. It's 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 we get so excited to try new things, but sometimes you just have to grow what works for your terroir, yeah. for your environment. It's a really important yeah, thing completely. to remember. Yeah, it's hard. It's you enticing need to work with your yeah. situation. I, I would never grow one variety, but I wouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. Well said. <laughs> Agreed. Well, sometimes I have too many eggs because I love yeah, so to I try new things. There's so much, and you hope it's going to work, but then you have the heartbreak of of things just weren't meant for that area, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. a challenging yeah. thing, yeah. Do you like controlled environments, or do you like being outside? Um, I like both. I yeah. ideally, I want everything to be outside for environmental reasons. Of course, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, it's, there's easier things indoors, and if you want to breed through the winter. Of course, it's it's crucial, yeah, it's crucial for the ongoing works, but something magical, yeah, something magical about the the great, great outdoors, too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's more, I don't know, there's there's more connection with, like, the greater world to it, because it, it comes into your garden, you know, you can't help but face the weather and... The bugs. The yeah. bird poop. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The bird poop happens. <laughs> the birds love to perch in a big field. That's another thing I learned is, like, they're just hanging out. Um, I've also seen with, like, diversity outdoors, things that just grow around. Once you irrigate a space, you know, there are mm-hmm. there, there's these native things or 
weeds. But in some ways, I saw this aphid population boom, big boom, like crazy amount of bugs. They ate all the ground cover and never got to the herb. That's amazing. Oh, sweet. It was so sweet. Perfect. It's so cool. (laughs) I know. I was blessed. I was like, oh, my God. We had to weed whack the weeds, though, because they were so tall. They were almost shadowing. You know, like it's that pressure got too much. And um, everybody watching was giving me opinions. And I was just like, well, come work a day in the field and then tell me your opinions. But, you know, (laughs) but it was humbling, too, to see nature just like, wow, just the natural, the decoys, right? This like pest imbalance was balanced out by this other imbalance of these weeds growing too much and spared spared our crop it was really that was an interesting example of of nature working itself out and you wouldn't really have that indoors or maybe you would i don't know i I was lucky yeah people are working on things like that like trap plant systems where you know you have a bunch of really tasty plants yes you remove on a certain interval so yeah no i think it's a facet i i think where i we germinated a um, hundred trays of seed and uh, there was some trap plants in that space. It was a very beautiful nursery setup. And, and I think, yeah, I think that's a really cool science is to kind of just leverage the science, but also to observe nature and see what works and, and emulate that. That's kind of something I've, that grows near and dear to my heart and what I've observed yeah. thus far. Yeah. Yeah, I love growing tobacco as a ground cover if you have a fungus cool. mat problem. Whoa. It's just, it's just sticky and they, it's like fly paper. <laughs> no way. That's amazing. I would definitely try that. Yeah. Yeah. Would that be for, and that's more inside or any anywhere? Really anywhere if you have like a fungus mat problem. And you can kind of keep it short and grow it like a little ground cover. <laughs> nice, man. Nice, man. Anything else? Uh, I would love to touch on the the fungal part. Do you do you cultivate mushrooms as well? So uh, you know, a handful. I'm growing out shiitake block right now. I nice. got some patches outside. Nice. I, I've never been great at growing mushrooms, though. Embarrassingly, yeah, it's um, I'm hard. really good at growing molds. <laughs> yeah, trichoderma, right? You mentioned a trichoderma yeah. product earlier. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, I know I trichoderma. Can... That killed my my mushroom growth. <laughs> or molds. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, man. Yeah. But I can grow some. Like I can grow some endophytes grow some little like fungus on plates but getting mushroom edible mushrooms to fruit no (laughs) i'm too dirty i think yeah well that's we've it's funny how the cannabis connection is kind of naturally turning into a fungi connection as well um and i really appreciate you shedding light a little bit on you know the knowledge behind botrytis uh it's just this interaction of of the living of the living uh biomes of of the of the cannabis life cycle it's always fascinating to to continue to learn and to be humbled uh i've definitely been humbled yeah. by growing mushrooms and cannabis it's it's good it keeps yeah. keeps you and they're, you know they're really not that separate they're like we all exist as consortia of, of a ton of different species it's pretty yeah, amazing it is pretty amazing Are, is there something you're excited about this year as far as any of your personal projects or anything uh, you're working on? Uh, I feel like Croptober is a fun time to, to share or shed light on any findings or discoveries or unicorns. I'd love to hear anything <laughs> that came came to you this year. Man, I, I have like a handful, like a, like a Petrita seedling thing I'm excited about. Um I'm yeah. developing my own little uh, variety and my, you know, like a home variety outside a new breed that's uh, an autoflower population based off the GMO clone. Nice, a um, gassy auto. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. It's, it's been harder than I expected, but it's, <laughs> it's making progress. Good for you, man. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I, you, I, yeah, that's, uh, did you breed real, like, so photo period GMO with, the auto how's that yeah, work yeah, how yeah. does that work I, maybe the, people don't realize that i, I talked to nat uh pennington a uh, long time mm-hmm. ago but he speak, yeah. yeah humble seed company but yeah can you speak to the just a brief overview of how that works yeah so like i was saying earlier it's a single recessive gene for the auto trait 
So I had a breeding auto variety, and then I crossed that. I reverse. I did feminized breeding, so I reversed it to the GMO clone. Um, and then you have this population that's all going to be one photo allele, one uh, recessive autoflower allele. Then you interbreed that population, uh, and you get F2 seed. So then that F2 seed is going to segregate. 25% is going to have two copies of the photoperiod allele. 50% uh, is going to have one copy again of the photoperiod and one of the uh, autoflower allele. And then 25% will have both copies of the recessive autoflower allele, and those ones will autoflower. So you grow that F2 under, you know, a vegetative light cycle, and it will select for the ones that autoflower, and you kill all the photoperiods, <laughs> and you interbreed or you sell the autos, whatever direction you want to go, and then you have a population of all autos. Uh, so then that's that auto is 50% the photoperiod, 50% the breeding, and then you can back cross that or uh, that's with the GMO that's what I did I actually I actually uh, skipped a step so <laughs> I made it more complicated where I took that F1 um, and I immediately back crossed that as a population to the GMO so wow. then that spit out seed where one half of the seed was all photo period and one half of the seed had one copy of the photo period one copy of the autoflower <laughs> Oh man, um, yeah. So then I like interbred a huge population of that, and expecting that, you know, uh, one quarter of one quarter of that F2 seed from that uh, will be out of flower. So I just had to grow out a much bigger population to get back to the out of flowers. But I was able to skip, you know, one one gen one cycle of breeding by doing that. And you could do that several times if you if you had enough space and could grow out enough population or if you could test for that flower allele yeah uh, and differentiate which ones were uh homozygous photoperiod or heterozygous and the only so, way you really know is you grow them out correct so you just have to keep keep going with your generations yeah um so yeah some i mean you know if you're a molecular company i think some of them have markers for it <laughs> sure, sure. i hear you man um, we're talking about farming <laughs> i don't know if everyone so has those access we're at the last minute so i just wanted to let you know so we don't get cut off i just want to okay okay yeah so well much. i i really appreciate being here it's been a fun conversation very fun no likewise and and can you just tell the people how they can uh keep keep up with you and, and engage with your work and, and and it's just been a very enlightening conversation and if you're having santa cruz man hit me up we'll we'll keep in touch yeah man i'd love to get down there um so if you want to uh, hit me up you can look me up on instagram or wherever uh, as growing higher uh, also mycofight.com is the website for the consulting company that i have with a few friends if you're interested in uh, sustainable agriculture or uh, fungi to improve agriculture or mushroom growing. AM 1340, KOMY, La Selva Beach, Watsonville, Santa Cruz. A service of ZBS.